The scripture for this morning's message is Luke chapter 1, verses 39 to 56. If you're using one of the church Bibles, you'll find that on page 1032. The title of the message this morning is How Christmas Keeps Hope Alive. Luke's gospel begins with the archangel Gabriel announcing two miraculous pregnancies. The first is the pregnancy of Elizabeth, who is an elderly, barren woman who would give birth to John the Baptist. The second pregnancy is that of the Virgin Mary, who would give birth to Jesus. Mary and Elizabeth are actually relatives. And following the birth announcements, Luke records an in-person visit between these two ladies, blessed with miraculous pregnancies. It's that visit we're going to look at this morning. Luke chapter 1, verses 39 to 56. Please stand for the reading of God's holy word. Now at this time, Mary arose and went in a hurry to the hill country, to a city of Judah, and entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. And it happened that when Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. And she cried out with a loud voice and said, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And how is it? happened to me that the mother of my Lord would come to me. For behold, when the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby leaped in my womb for joy. And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what had been spoken to her by the Lord. And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit has rejoiced in God my Savior. For he has looked upon the humble state of his slave. For behold, from this time on, all generations will count me blessed. For the mighty one has done great things for me, and holy is his name. And his mercy is upon generation after generation toward those who fear him. He has done a mighty deed with his arm. He has scattered those who were proud in the thoughts of their heart. He has brought down rulers from their thrones and has exalted those who were humble. He has filled the hungry with good things and sent away the rich empty-handed. He has given help to his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and his seed forever. Mary stayed with her about three months, then returned to her home. Let's pray. We thank you, our great and marvelous God, for sending your Son to be born among us. After 10,000 years in heaven, we still won't fully grasp the significance of the Incarnation. Still, we pray that in these moments, you would enable us to comprehend the hope that is ours because the Son of God became man. And do more than just enable us to understand it with our heads, enable us to feel it with our hearts. Oh God, help us feel in the depths of our soul the thrill of hope that the song speaks of. Please, do it, we pray. We ask it for the glory of Christ and the good of your people. Amen. Please be seated. In the scripture, hope is not wishful thinking or optimism. 
In the Bible, hope is confident expectation. Hope in the Bible isn't believing there's a strong chance something could happen. Hope is confidently expecting something will happen. Our hope for the future lies in the return of Christ. Amen? We look forward to the day when Christ is going to come again and set all things right. He's going to fulfill all the promises of God and that's where our hope lies. But in our humanness, our sense of hope can be fragile. When you see the condition of the world we live in, and when you consider that it's been over 2,000 years and Christ still hasn't returned, that can leave your hope just a little shaken. As Christians, our reason for hope remains ever sure. But as fallen people, we don't always feel so sure. Sometimes we lack an ever-present sense of hope. Shara Sand is a clinical psychologist in New York City. She works with depressed patients to help them regain a sense of hope. And one of the things that she does is to remind them of past successes, past achievements. And she said it's amazing how helping them to remember what they've achieved in the past can give them hope for what they might do in the future. We're going we're gonna to take a similar approach this morning with one change. We're not going to look to the past at what we've done to give us hope for what we might do in the future. We're going to look to the past to see what God's done and see how that will give us hope for what God will do in the future. We're going to discover that the birth of Christ fuels our hope for the return of Christ. Let me say it like this. Faith in Christ's first coming fuels our hope in Christ's second coming. Faith in Christ's first coming fuels our hope in Christ's second coming. In verses 39 to 45 of the text we read, Elizabeth, under the influence of the Holy Spirit, confirms everything that the angel Gabriel said to Mary. Any lingering doubts Mary may have had are removed. She becomes absolutely convinced that she has conceived by the Holy Spirit and will give birth to the Christ child, God's Son. And then in verse 46 through 55, as that reality sets into Mary's heart, it launches her into a song of praise to God for all that He will do for His people through Christ. So first, her faith that Christ has come is made strong. Then, she rejoices because the hope that Christ's coming gives. That's how it's going to have to happen for you and I. 
First, our faith that Christ has come must be made strong. It's then that we will be able to rejoice in hope of what He will do when He comes again. But faith has to come before hope. First, what we have to do is believe in the truth of Christ's first coming. Believe in the truth of Christ's first coming. This is verse 39 through 45. And what we're going to see here is how Mary's encounter with Elizabeth confirms the word of the Lord that was delivered to Mary by the angel Gabriel. You remember the angel Gabriel told Mary that her relative Elizabeth was pregnant, which was a miracle because Elizabeth was well beyond childbearing years, 60s, 70s, 80s. And not only that, she had been barren all of her life. Gabriel tells Mary about this miracle pregnancy as evidence that God can do the impossible to help Mary believe the news about her own miracle pregnancy. And Mary believes all that Gabriel said. So, she hurries to see Elizabeth, to share Elizabeth's joy, and to reveal the news that she has conceived a child by the Holy Spirit of God. Mary's faith in the angel's announcement is what drove her to make this 80-mile, four-day trip. And when she arrives at Elizabeth's home, she receives absolute confirmation. Her faith is strengthened in all that God has said to her. The first way it's confirmed, you see it in verse 40, look at it. It says, Mary entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. I want you to think about something. We know from the scripture that at this point in time, Elizabeth is six months pregnant, which means she's showing significantly. So when Mary walks in the house, she sees that Elizabeth is pregnant, and it's obvious that what Gabriel told her is true. This miracle pregnancy did indeed take place. So there's the first confirmation right there, just simply when Mary sees Elizabeth. But I want you to notice something else. Notice what happens when Mary greets Elizabeth in the first part of verse 41. It happened that when Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leaped in her womb. Now it's talking about Elizabeth's baby. As Mary greeted Elizabeth, the unborn John the Baptist leaped in his mother's womb. Now if you glance down at verse 44, you'll see that Elizabeth says that the baby leaped for joy. She's interpreting the child's leap. By the way, this is not a word that just means the baby moved. This means the baby jumped. It, it was a, a, a startling move. This is not just a kick or a roll over. And Mary interprets that, excuse me, Elizabeth interprets that as the baby leaping for joy. How in the world could she possibly know that? Go back to verse 41. Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. The unborn John leaps for joy in the presence of the unborn Christ. 
Now, I want you to keep in mind something. If you were to go back in this chapter to verse 15, what you would find out is that Gabriel told John's father, Zechariah, that John would be filled with the Spirit while he was yet in his mother's womb. That means the very Spirit of God is in Elizabeth's womb with John, and it's the Spirit of God that causes John to leap in his mother's womb. And then the Holy Spirit reveals to Elizabeth that John's leap is a result of him recognizing the presence of the Messiah. Something we have to remember about John the Baptist. Why did God send John the Baptist? To prepare the way for Jesus. To call attention to Jesus. How does Elizabeth figure out that Mary's pregnant with the Christ child when Mary never tells her. The leap in her womb of John the Baptist is the Holy Spirit's God of God's way of calling attention to Elizabeth of this miracle pregnancy. You might say it like this. John is beginning his ministry of pointing people to Jesus while he's still in the womb. He makes his mother aware of Mary's pregnancy, and he confirms by the Holy Spirit that Mary is pregnancy. So here again, that Mary is pregnant with the Christ is confirmed again through this leap in the womb of John. Now, if you notice verse 41b, I already pointed out that Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, you see this often in Scripture. The Spirit of God comes on someone to, to use them as a mouthpiece to deliver God's message. If you look a little further in this same chapter, Elizabeth's husband, Zechariah, this happens to him when their son John is born. Luke 1, and 68. John's father, Zechariah, was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, meaning he spoke the word of the Lord. Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he visited and accomplished redemption for his people. Here's the point I need you to see. When Elizabeth speaks in verses 42 to 45, she is speaking as the mouthpiece of God. Got it? Now notice what she says in verse 42. She cried out with a loud voice and said, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. This word blessed, when it refers to a person, it refers to a person's condition as a result of God's favor being shown to them. Elizabeth is telling Mary what Gabriel already said. You are highly favored. A recipient of God's grace. But what does it mean to say Mary is blessed among women? What does that mean? It's kind of like saying, Mary, you are the most blessed among women. You see, something we need to understand is, in those days, a woman's greatness was linked to the greatness of her children. So why was Mary the most blessed among women? Because of the greatness of her child. Not because of her own greatness, but because of the greatness of the child she carried. So when Elizabeth says, blessed are you, and blessed is the fruit of your womb, what she's really saying is, blessed are you because of the blessed fruit of your womb. Because of the one you are carrying. Mary wasn't blessed by virtue of anything in and of herself. 
Mary was blessed because God in His grace had seen fit to allow her to conceive and give birth to His Son. Now, if you remember from last week, that's exactly what the angel Gabriel told Mary. Again, the Lord's word to Mary is confirmed. Now watch verse 43. How has it happened to me that the mother of my Lord would come to me? Two things I want to point out here. Notice she refers to Jesus as Lord. You see that? In the account of Jesus' conception and birth, the word Lord is used 24 times. This is the only time it refers to Jesus. You want to guess who it refers to the other 23 times? God. What's Luke doing? He's trying to connect this unborn Jesus with the God of Israel. He's telling us what Gabriel has already told Mary. Your child is the son of the Most High God. And notice what else Elizabeth says in this verse. How is it happened to me that, my mother, that, that the mother of my Lord would come to me? What's he telling Mary? You are the mother. You are carrying the unborn Son of God. Again, this is exactly what the angel Gabriel had told Mary. Verse 45. Blessed is she who believed there would be a fulfillment of what had been spoken to her by the Lord. Elizabeth restates the fact that Mary's blessed, but she adds something. I want you to pay attention. She said, blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what had been spoken to her by the Lord. The thing to notice is simply this, Mary believed. Mary believed all that Gabriel had said and all that Elizabeth had confirmed. Mary believed that she, being a virgin, had conceived of the Holy Spirit and would give birth to the Christ, the Son of God. Now here's what I want you to catch. It was Mary's faith in the word of the Lord given to her by Gabriel that caused Mary to make this journey to see Elizabeth to begin with. And now, after meeting with Elizabeth and hearing Elizabeth's words, all that Mary had been told has been confirmed. And now, Mary is absolutely convinced that God's word that had been given to her is absolutely true. Now, don't miss this. Here's why that's so important. It's because she believed the Christ had come that Mary began to praise God in hope in the next section of this chapter. You see, in verses 46 to 55, which we're going to look at in a minute, Mary isn't just praising God because He sent Christ. She's praising God for all the wonderful things that God has promised to do through Christ. What I want you to see is this. Mary's faith that Christ had come filled her with hope for what Christ would do. Are you with me? You remember 1 Samuel 17, the story of David and Goliath? Nobody would fight Goliath. Nine foot tall, big as a tank. Everybody was afraid to fight him. David shows up on the scene and said, I'll fight him little bitty guy. 
Saul tells David, King Saul, you can't fight him. You're just a kid. This guy's been a warrior since he was a kid. You, you remember how David answered Saul? He, he said, you know, when I was the shepherd for my father's sheep, sometimes a bear or a lion would come and get one of the sheep. I would strike the bear, the lion, so it would release the sheep. Then those animals would rise up against me and I'd grab them by the beard and strike them dead. The Lord delivered me from the lion and the bear and he will deliver me from this uncircumcised Philistine. I want you to think about something. What gave David such confidence that what hadn't happened yet would happen? That God would defeat Goliath? Where did this confidence come from? Listen, David's confidence in what God would do came from, God's, came from David's knowledge of what God had already done. You see? What am I telling you? I'm telling you, our confidence for what God will do in the future depends on us believing what God has already done in the past. Are you with me? When we believe what God's done in the past, then we can be confident and expectant for what He'll do in the future. That's the way it happened with Mary. It is as her faith in the angel's message became solidified. That's when she burst forth in hope. Listen, we have to be convinced that the word of God given to us is true, just like Mary became convinced. We have to believe that the Virgin Mary conceived a child by the power of the Holy Spirit. We have to believe that the child born to Mary is indeed the Son of God. We have to believe that He is truly God and truly man. We have to believe He is the Messiah, the Christ, the promised Savior and Deliverer. Listen, we have to believe that He is the fulfillment of God's promise to send His people a king. Why must we believe? Because it's our faith that Christ came in the past that fuels our hope that He will come again in the future. We must believe the truth of Christ's first coming. And when we do, we can praise God for the hope of Christ's second coming. Praise God for the hope of Christ's second coming. This is verses 46 to 55. So Mary has now become convinced that she is pregnant with the Christ, the Son of God. So she launches into this song, which verses 46 to 55 are a psalm, just like the psalms recorded in the book of Psalms. It is a Hebrew poetry. It is a song. She is praising God for what He has done and rejoicing in the hope of what He will do. Now, in the first part of this song, verses 46 to 49, Mary praises God for blessing her and allowing her to be the mother of the Christ. You'll notice what she says in verse 46. My soul magnifies the Lord. This means she's exalting God for His greatness. Verse 47 is 
Really a different way of saying the same thing. My spirit has rejoiced in God my Savior. Soul and spirit are synonymous. They refer to who she is at the very core of herself. So from the depths of her being, Mary is rejoicing and giving praise to God. The question then becomes, why? Verse 48. For he has looked upon the humble state of his slave. Now, what does Mary's humble state refer to? It doesn't refer to her personal humility. That's not it. It refers to Mary's position in society. She isn't rich. She isn't famous. Her family is not well known. Matter of fact, people from her town, Nazareth, tended to be looked down upon. In society's eyes, Mary was a nobody. Yet, God, it says, looked upon her. That means he looked upon her with favor. She became a recipient of his grace. And now she says all future generations of God's people will consider her blessed. Again, the question is why? Verse 49, for the mighty one has done great things for me. Now, obviously, these great things are connected to her conceiving and giving birth to the Christ, the Son of God. Now, I want you to notice how verse 49 ends. This is important. Holy is His name. Notice here, who is Mary giving praise to? God. When Mary says, all generations will call me blessed, She is not saying people will or should praise her. No one should pray to Mary. Mary's never heard a prayer. No one should praise Mary. What Mary is doing is not calling attention to herself. She's magnifying the grace of God that has been shown to her. She's calling attention to how incredibly kind God is and how incredibly good God is that He would look upon such a lowly girl as her and give her the marvelous privilege of bearing His Son. Listen, it's God, not Mary, who is to be praised here. Now, what I want you to notice is this. Mary is calling attention to what God has done for her. Now the question is why? Here's why. Because of the implications that it has for all people. You see, what God did for Mary has implications for all of God's people. Mary is just an example of the grace of God being extended to all of the humble. Verse 50. His mercy is upon generation after generation toward those who fear Him. That word mercy is the word we see in the Old Testament translated steadfast love. This is a quote from Psalm 103, verse 17. And she says, God's steadfast love is upon all those who fear Him. Who are those who fear God? Those who fear God are those who recognize that apart from God, they are nothing. They hold God in the highest reverence. They desire to obey Him because they know that apart from Him, they are doomed. They know they are at 
God's mercy. Mary understands that through the child she is carrying, God's mercy will extend to all the humble who fear God. See, the first part of Mary's song focuses on the steadfast love God has shown to her by making her the mother of Christ. In the second part of this song, Mary looks forward to the way God's steadfast love will spread to all of God's people because of the blessed Christ. Now, something I want to point out, as you get to verses 51 and following, you'll notice there's a shift in the verb tenses. The verbs become past tense. This is interesting. They are what's called futuristic past tense. What that means is, Mary is speaking of something that will happen in the future, but she's speaking of it as if it happened in the past. You say, well, that doesn't make sense. I want, it's, it happens a lot in the Old Testament. I want you to think about this. She's describing what God is going to do through the Christ as if God's already done it. What is she saying? She's saying what God is going to accomplish through the Christ is as good as done. It's as certain as if God had already done it. You with me? And so she speaks of it in past tense. The theme you're going to notice in verses 51 to 53 is God putting down the proud and exalting the humble. New Testament says it. God, God humbles the exalted and exalts the humble. That's what the theme of these verses is. The proud, you see them mentioned in verse 51, that's the same ones that verse 52 refers to as rulers. Verse 53 calls them rich. Now proud and rich and rulers, these are not primarily political or social designations. They're, they're spiritual. To be proud, to be mighty, to be rich means to be self-sufficient. You don't see yourself in need of saving. The proud don't recognize their lowliness as Mary does. They don't see themselves in need of God's grace or mercy. This is a spirit of self-exaltation and self-righteousness. The proud. God puts down the proud. In verse 51, you see God scatters them. In verse 52, He brings them down from their thrones. In verse 53, He sends them away empty. In other words, God is going to bring down the proud. He's going to bring them to judgment. But if you look at verse 52, God will exalt those who are humble. Verse 53, He will fill the hungry with good things. He exalts the humble and humbles the proud. Now, in Mary's mind, the humble would be the faithful among God's people Israel. God's faithful people. The proud would be those pagan nations who oppressed and ruled over Israel. Keep something in mind. God promised 
that when the Christ came, he would defeat all the enemies of God's people and establish his eternal kingdom of peace and prosperity. That's what Mary's describing here. God bringing down their enemies and exalting them, giving them the blessings He has promised. And even though it hasn't happened yet, Mary is praising God as if it already had. This is what I need you to see. Mary is praising God for the hope that she has that Christ will defeat the enemies of God's people and establish the eternal kingdom of peace and prosperity. Mary is expressing her confident expectation of what God's going to do. And in verses 54 and 55, Mary makes reference to God's covenant with Abraham, the the promises God made to Abraham. And you'll notice there also, she speaks of that promise as if God had already fulfilled it. He has given help to Israel, his servant, already. As he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and his seed forever. How could she speak of God's promises to Abraham as if they had all already been fulfilled? She could do that because she knew the one she was carrying in her womb is the one who would fulfill them. This child is the deliverer and savior God's people longed for. This child is the one who would take away their sin and write the law of God on their hearts. This child would reign forever as king, bringing never-ending peace and prosperity to God's people. Mary rejoices in this reality as if it was already done, and all because she knew the Christ had come. Don't miss this. The fact that the promised Christ had come filled her with hope. It filled her with confident expectation that everything God would do through this child would indeed come to pass. How confident was Mary? Mary was so confident in what God would do that she spoke of it as if He had already done it. Absolutely hope-filled. What is Mary doing here? She's praising God for the hope that Christ has given her. Now I want you to think with me for just a minute. Mary's looking ahead to all the wonderful things that God would do through Christ. When she sang this song, when she wrote this song, none of that had happened yet. She wasn't even far enough along to really show that she was pregnant yet. She's looking ahead to what God would do through Christ. Now think about something. So are we, aren't we? When Christ came the first time, God didn't fulfill all the promises of what He would do through Christ. All the promises that remain will be fulfilled when Christ comes the second time. So we too, like Mary, are looking ahead to what God is going to do through the Christ. Now, 
because God sent Christ the first time, as he promised, we have reason to expect that he will send him the second time as he promised. So we do what Mary did. We praise God in confident expectation of what he's going to do. We praise God for the hope of all he's going to accomplish when Christ comes again. In this day of violence and hate, praise God that in the future there will be no more violence and hate. In this day of disease and death, we praise God that when Christ returns, there will be no more disease and death. In this day where you struggle with sin, you praise God that when Christ comes again, you will no longer struggle with sin and you'll finally be transformed to be like Him. In this day of pain, we praise God that in the future, we will experience endless pleasure at the right hand of God's throne. Psalm 16. We praise God with confident expectation that all His promises will be fully and finally fulfilled when Christ comes again. In our humanness, our hope can be fragile. When you see the condition of this society we live in, this broken world, when you consider it's been over 2,000 years already and Christ still hasn't returned, that can leave your hope a little shaken. But the more we are convinced of what the Bible says about Christ's first coming, the more we will be convinced about what the Bible says of Christ's second coming. The greater our faith in the first coming of Christ, the greater our hope in the second coming of Christ. It's what I said from the beginning. Faith in Christ's first coming fuels our hope in Christ's second. Joy to the world. The Lord is come. Let earth receive her king. Joy to the world. The Savior reigns. Let men their songs employ. You know the song. Joy to the world is one of the favorite among Christmas songs. Only it isn't actually a Christmas song. Do you know that? When Isaac Watts wrote Joy to the World, he wasn't writing a celebration of Christ's first coming. He's writing a celebration of Christ's second coming. You see, joy to the world was not written about the birth of Christ. It's written about the return of Christ. If you'll read the words carefully, that's obvious. Joy to the world. The Lord has come. Let earth receive her what? King. king. It's about when Christ comes again as king. No more let sin and sorrow grow, nor thorns cover the ground. When is that going to happen? Second coming. But here's the thing. The song is equally suitable as a celebration of the first coming or the second coming. Why? Because it's the reality of the first coming that gives birth to our hope in the second coming. 
It's the joy that we have in the first coming that gives birth to our hope in the second coming. The two are inseparably connected. Listen, what I'm trying to get you to see today is this. When we celebrate the birth of Christ, we're celebrating the birth of hope. Hope. Because the one who was born as a pauper will return as a king. Hope. Because the one who was born into a world of sin and depravity will return to usher in a world of sinless perfection. Hope. Because the one who was born to die for us will return to live with us. Hope. Because the one born in humility in a barn will return in glory in the clouds. Hope. Because the one born to us will one day return for us. That's how Christmas keeps hope alive. Let's pray.